The following podcast contains general advice only and does not take into account your individual circumstances. Listeners should speak to an accountant or financial advisor before making any investment decision. Thank you very much again for tuning into the Market Pulse podcast. Welcome to episode 23. This is the Iron and Indoor Pots edition. As you sort of already know by now, you can shoot me a question for the show. We don't have any questions this week, so we will jump straight into it. But if you do have a question for the show, always just shoot that through to marketpulsepodcast at gmail.com. It was a little bit of a mixed week this week, but we'll jump into that now. The ASX 200 was actually down. It was down about 1.6%. So, yeah, sort of not really anywhere when it came to Monday to Thursday. The market would just sort of slightly go down and then slightly go back up and back and forth, back and forth. It was really Friday where that sort of loss was cemented in. There was like a 2% fall on that day alone, which sort of caused the overall market, I suppose, to slide about 1.6% for the week. And in the US, it was a very different story for the week. You know, fresh off some record-breaking GDP contractions, the market fared quite well, all things considered. The S&P 500 was actually up 1.7% for the week, and the NASDAQ was up about 3.7%, so much better there for the NASDAQ. And we will talk just a little bit about what specifically helped drive that NASDAQ to be such an outperformer compared to everything else for the week. But we're going to start here at home with probably a little bit more of some just economic related news and, and also a little bit of market stuff because there was some interesting reporting and sort of company news that happened during the week and I'm going to touch on that as well. Well, probably one of the biggest pieces, you, I mean, you definitely probably noticed this during the week yourself, maybe just from news, was just data from the ABS regarding inflation or in, I guess in the case of this most recent measurement was of the consumer price index was deflation. So I, I can't remember if I've actually broken down the consumer price index or CPI as you hear it referred to in detail on the show but essentially it's just it's think of it like a basket of sort of common expenses by households so common things that households and individuals might spend money on and they look at that basket say last year and then they look at it this year and they look at the price that it was last year for all those things in the basket and they look at the price that it was this year and then they can sort of see how sort of goods and services have gone up or down in price in comparison, say, over a 12-month period or maybe a quarterly period, whatever it is. Now, now CPI, Consumer Price Index, it fell very significantly for the so the previous June quarter. It fell 1.9%. And I'm just going to go along here and just quote from just an economic report here that was from Comsec, and they released that on Wednesday after the ABS data came out. And they said that this was the biggest quarterly fall in prices in about... 89 years however it's really down to like sort of like a select couple things that had these super super heavy falls and that these being for one childcare, that was a big one that was down 95 percent and the reason it's down basically to almost nothing is because the government stepped in with subsidies on childcare, which they made it free as a response to COVID-19 uh, just in a, in a stimulus effort to support families so that's why childcare was down so much because families stopped paying, I guess, money towards something that they usually stopped paying for, of course. And the others were uh, fuels down almost almost 20%. And, you know, that's not too unexpected. We've sort of come off the back of, you know, those massive oil price falls that have hit global markets. And that has trickled down to the actual petrol price that we pay to fuel up our car, of course. So fuel prices or the amount of spending on fuels down quite significantly. 
And then another one was a fall in uh, preschool and primary education by about 16.2%. And the ABS uh, in their release, their media release, they cited that this came off the back of there they're being free preschool being provided by New South Wales, uh, Victoria and Queensland for families. That's a, that's a further stimulus measure that sort of affected that spend point there. And of course, uh, CPI sort of measured, it did actually measure increases in certain other product categories. Categories, Sorry, it's not like it's everything just sort of fell or something like that. So things like cleaning products, furniture, audio, visual equipment, cleaning products makes complete sense. So that stuff uh, did increase. I mean, the expectations is that this, this isn't real. I mean, it's not, it's not expected that this is a sign that deflation has suddenly taken hold and where it's just going to be all downhill and from here like economists i guess the broad consensus of economists are expecting consumer prices to actually lift in the next quarter and that ends in september but i'm sure the reserve bank and i'm sure the government are also just monitoring this for any long-term issues and they'll they'll look at that to make sure there's nothing that they shouldn't be watching but anyway we'll jump away from some more economic stuff and, and straight into some market news and we're starting to see companies start to report to the market over the uh, over the next few weeks, some people call it confession season. So where these companies come in and tell investors uh, maybe that things weren't so good and, or maybe things that they expected to happen uh, didn't happen as much as, as much as they thought. And I guess it's going to be interesting to see. I think for me, what's going to be interesting is not so much what I am. I am interested in seeing what companies are going to be reporting, of course, but it, they're going to be reporting their full financial year results, which sort of ended up until June. And I think... The issue with that is that doesn't. What's almost more interesting is what happens from here now. So, what the next twelve months look like? Because, yes, the twenty twenty has been quite bad, but there's also been a lot of government stimulus in there that might have taken a little bit of the potential damage off the table. And, and you know, who knows where we're going to be, say, six months from now or eight months from now. So, but we'll we'll keep watching that, of course, on the podcast. But let's jump into some of that reporting news now. Well, we have quite a bunch to talk through, and not just domestically this week. I'll go into one of the US companies as well, but I'm going to be jumping around between a few different companies that all do very, very, very different things. So let's start with a quite a small company, and that being Temple and Webster, which is an online furniture and homeware real t- retailer. And the, the funny thing about this one is you, I saw a bunch of commentators that were almost kind of like looking around saying, who the hell is this Temple and Webster that everyone's talking about this week? And I kind of knew about them. They... I've actually bought a small bookshelf kind of thing off them from their website before. So think of them as kind of like, kind of like an IKEA online. It's like an e-commerce web business website, and so you can buy anything from like a king size bed all the way to just say a cloth coffee plunger. So whatever you want, really. So lots of homewares, furniture, appliances. Not so much appliances, but more sort of on the furnitures and furnishings. And they trade on the ASX, so they trade on our market here. They their code is TPW. Again, quite kind of like another quiet performer over the last 12 months. Their shares are actually up about 350%. And this this time last year, they were about $1.70 a share, but Temple and Webster closed this week out at $7.52 a share. So they've certainly had a very good 2020 so far. And just remember that CPI data, which we just spoke about, although I'm mostly sort of focused on sort of the things that made it a negative and pulled pulled back one of the things that actually increased across the quarter that just got 
released was things like furniture and household appliances. So people spending more money on those. And I think Temple and Webster, of course, being very well positioned for that current environment, uh, being an e-commerce brand already. So they didn't have to you know, worry about how they manage the physical short store shutdowns. And they, you know, they've already got their plan in place for how they deliver products to to people and, and you see this big trend in people over the, the sort of lockdown period and even up till now, uh, refurnishing homes, upgrading furniture, small renovations around the house. I guess when perhaps you're forced to spend a little bit more time at home, you might start noticing things that you want to change and you probably have you probably also have the time to do it too. So that probably filtered in there a little bit too. But just jumping into, I guess, some of the highlights here and looking at their full year results presentation that they released to the market their CEO, Mark Coulter, noted that many customers are actually trying this kind of like furniture shopping on online for the very first time. And I guess that's quite an important point because furniture does kind of often feel like the kind of thing that you you would, you would might traditionally want to just wait to do in person because you know, people want to visualize how it sort of fits in their house and, and see it in person. But to that sort of point about people trying it for the first time, they've recorded that active customers are up 77% year on year so a big jump there they got they have full year revenues that are up their EBITDA came in at 8.5 million versus though it was closer to about 1.5 million in the prior year period and they even noted that they had their first ever two million dollar day in June where they had two million dollars in revenue move through their checkout purchases in a single day so very very impressive results amid what is really just a sort of broader backdrop in retail being a very, very tough environment right now. You know, not many sort of retailers can boast strong growth numbers kind of like that, that Temple and Webster did this week. And I mean, share price, like I sort of said, it's certainly been pricing in for the company to be in that kind of like growth level. And uh, the company also in their results presentation, they noticed, or they noted, I should say that July revenue growth has actually been in line with what they experienced towards the end of the financial year. So it doesn't look like they've slowed down. Jumping quickly, let's jump to a company that, or companies that couldn't be any further from Temple and Webster, but we're going to talk a little bit about Rio Tinto. I was going to say also Fortescue Metals, but they haven't actually, I mean, they're not actually meant to report full year results until later in August, but their share price is, is riding very high for similar reasons that Rio are having a lot of success with their business right now. And that comes back to iron ore and it's specifically Chinese demand for iron for steel making. And we talked we talked in the last episode about some of those iron ore export numbers. So if you want to jump back to episode 22 for a refresh on that one, but that sort of high demand from China and you couple that with very high iron ore prices at the moment that have been very good for investors in companies like Rio. And I mean, the price, um, I might actually just quickly... Check that right now. So the price right now, so iron ore price is at US $105 a ton. And it's been holding there for around that sort of that sort of price point for a little bit now. And I'm I'm curious to see how Fortescue also report. I mean, that's sort of later in August, but going back to Rio, Rio Tinto, the AFR specifically citing it was a bit more of a cautious dividend payout this week. So it was about 53% of total earnings that their dividend was, but their last dividend was closer to about 75% of total earnings, but still a very strong payout. And that was at $2.16 in, in Australian dollars. 
which is good, I guess, for investors because it's a very, very mixed dividend environment. It feels like we're we're hearing more about companies that are cancelling their dividend for the year, let alone paying a good dividend. So uh, good results there from Rio. It, it wasn't all shiny. The iron ore business, while strong, you might remember that there was a big cyclone, tropical cyclone Damien, towards the start of the year, which hit the, the Pilbara region in, in WA. It's weird because you kind of forget all this stuff because it's all just about the Rona these days and you kind of forget about the bushfires. I don't mean that in a bad... It sounds terrible that I'm saying that, but it's like almost like uh, those things feel like such a long time ago. But that, that tropical cyclone, Damien, put a bit of a dampener on their iron ore business for a little bit, uh, just affecting some of their mines and, and their ports up in WA. But I think when you're sort of riding off the back of that, not just that strong demand for iron, but... And you've got competitors like Brazil's Vale, which are there. They've got weaker output due to COVID and Brazil, you know, COVID lockdowns. It's been a very, very strong sort of environment for Rio, especially over the last six to eight months. Well, for a bit of a different touch this week, it's been a little while since I've talked about maybe some companies that aren't on the actual ASX. But um, speaking more broadly, uh, going to the American economy, you might have seen some of the bad news that came through this week regarding their economy. Specifically, it shrank 9.5% for the quarter just ended, so April through to June. But they do tend to annualize this number in the US, so that comes to almost 33%. They they annual, annualize it to sort of show how a quarterly change might be reflected over a 12-month period, but almost 33% contraction in GDP in annualized terms. And I guess for a bit of context, if this was a normal time, so back when the economy puttered along normally, you'd see the American economy grow at, say, an annualized rate of 2 or 3% or something like that. You know, it, it tends not to just, you know, every now and again contract by 33%. That's not, that's not the norm. And, of course, it kind of also wasn't a surprise, though, so it's not like the number seemed to really shock commentators and economists out there who were really looking that, well, really sort of estimating that the number was going to be around this point. And just quoting a Bloomberg article here that it was the biggest plummet in GDP dating back to the 1940s. And I mean, that really almost doesn't do it justice. It's never, it's never done anything like this. And this is, the, this is the result here of an American economy grinding to a complete halt. Um, and you've got exceptionally high unemployment leading to, you know, reduced consumer spending, you know, and even even if people aren't unemployed, they might lucky be lucky to still be working fine. They tend to sort of buckle down and try to save some money during a period like this. And so you couple that with you've got businesses not really spending much money because they don't have any money or they're closed down anyway or they're going bankrupt. And although part the other thing to this is you see the consensus from economists is that you'll see an actual lift in GDP in the next quarter. So because the, the American economy has started to reopen in the last couple of months, but it's really something that they think that's that's not going to get back to where it was for even years from now. So when I say it's going to have a bounce, it's not going to recover fully or anything like that. And I mean, they're still battling the virus, which is killing more and that sort of death rate, daily deaths is rising that other indicator that I like to look at, which is continued claims for unemployment, that is not going down. And if anything, it's actually ticked up a little bit over the last few weeks. And I think that's 
probably more important than say the GDP because if you saw that continued unemployment claims t uh, coming down, that's maybe one indicator there of, a, of an economy that's in recovery. But if it's continuing to stay flat or even go up, that is not an economy that is recovering. If anything, that is an economy that's potentially getting worse or those are jobs that are not coming back. But none of this mattered at all this week because big tech ignored it. The Nasdaq ignored it. And I mentioned at the top of the show, the Nasdaq had a very good week. And I'll start with, I'm not going to go into all the big sort of tech stocks and specifically what they did. I'm going to start with Apple um, because we're all familiar with Apple, of course. Actually, on that note, though, you might notice soon that Apple shares become a little bit more affordable to your average investor like you and I. And it's not because they are falling in price. It's nothing to do with that. The company this week announced what's called a stock split and specifically a four for one stock split. So basically, that means that each share of Apple will be divided by four. So if you currently own a share in Apple at the moment, so let's say, yeah, let's make it easy and say you just own one single Apple share. In a couple of weeks time when this takes effect, your one share will be split in four. So you're going to get three additional shares in Apple. So you'll have four shares in total. Now you won't be any richer. It's not like you're getting any more money. It's not like a, I say a share buyback where they take shares off the market or something. You'll still have the exact same dollar value in uh, Apple shares. It's just going to be made up of more individual shares. And your Apple share price is about, it's about 420 US dollars a share at the moment. It's going to be divided by four in that case. So it's going to come down to about 100 US dollars a share in just a few weeks time. Again, no fundamental changes. It's, I mean, it's, it's everything, if anything, it's good for your average retail investor like you and me because we can sort of access the company at a bit bit lower price point than say 425 US dollars a share. $100 is a bit easier to swallow there. But Apple is now, well, Apple's kind of been for a long time, but they ticked back over to the most valuable company in the world. They're absolutely humongous. Their market cap is about $1.8 trillion. And so that's the value of their company on the market. Remember, there, I did an episode on the index. And then, so let's take, an, let's take, say, Woolworths for an example. So you look at Woolworths market cap, they're pretty much bang on $50 billion in value. So that's their share price times by the amount of shares that they have. So $50 billion in market cap value. That means, so Apple's $1.8 So that means Apple is worth the same as 36 Woolworths. I don't mean like Woolworths individual supermarkets, like the Woolworths is a company. So 36 of them, insane. So bigger companies like BHP or CBA, they're worth about 120 billion or so. And so then then that's their biggest stocks that we have on the Australian Stock Exchange. So they're still not anywhere near 1.8 trillion, which is Apple. So huge company and a huge week for them after coming to the market with results and sort of business insider article citing here that the companies they they made that decision to launch a cheaper iPhone and that's really paid off for them especially during this sort of pandemic area. They, they had their iPhone business, which is the biggest part of their business growing about 2% overall. And Apple themselves cited in their, their shareholder conference or their, their market announcement that the iPhone SE, which is that cheaper model of the iPhone being a very notable reason why their iPhone business actually reported growth. And that that's come off the back of several quarters in a row where iPhone overall sales have actually fallen backwards for app uh, for apple there and i guess that's a little bit of a surprise there because you know being in a pandemic and 
arguably a global depression right now, people pulling back on spending, but uh, good good results there for their iPhone business. And although there's these parts, there's other parts that are smaller to their business. So their wearables and Apple services, they all reported growth as well. So overall, a good picture for Apple. And I'm not going to go into a heap of details for the other tech giants, but the reason you're seeing the NASDAQ up so much um, is this, this is because it goes beyond just Apple. So you have Amazon shares up this week. They beat uh, revenue expectations. They've obviously been a company that's maybe the best position for coronavirus and everyone's getting packages delivered at home. You saw Facebook coming in with, they actually came in with 12% year-on-year growth in daily active users. So they've got that daily active users now up to about 1.8 billion people. Their monthly active up to about 2.7 billion. So a huge week on the NASDAQ and contractions be damned. Cool, so that about wraps us up for this week's episode. I feel like I flew through a million different companies and different data points there, but there was quite a lot of news and it's only going to get sort of more hectic. I think around the middle of August, there's a week where just a lot of Australia's major companies are all reporting the results. So I'm curious to see if there's any surprises or disappointments uh, sitting in there, um, but we'll find out over the next couple of weeks. But thank you very much for tuning in. This was episode 23. Uh, again, if you do have questions, let me know. I love word of mouth sort of marketing, I guess if you want to call it. So let your friends know about the podcast. That's probably the best compliment you could ever give me if you've got someone who might be interested in this stuff. But anyway, enjoy your day. Enjoy your week. My name is Dion Gruben. Thanks for tuning in. See you later.